book of questions as well. Ah, oh, what do you mean your big book of questions? It's not a big book. It's just a few, just a few, a few little questions. See, these are questions just I'd be mad to know because I often do wonder. What kind of questions? Well, sure. I suppose we'll start at the beginning. What's your name? Father Brian Griffin. Yes. Do you watch Family Guy? No, hate it. Have you? But you know where this line of questions is going. I went to the bank um, when I was working there a few years ago, and uh, I gave the, the young fellow behind the counter, and I gave him my card, and he started laughing. <laughs> and uh, he looked at me, and he said, uh, "Have you seen Family Guy?" And I said, "No." And he said, "You need to watch Family Guy." So I went home and I uh, googled Family Guy, and up came the white Brian, dog. Yeah, Brian Griffin. And um, yeah, I thought it was funny, but then I watched an episode and it's just that bad American humor. It's just not, I don't find it funny. It's a, it's Seth MacFarlane is the kind of guy he's always poking at the establishment, but then his jokes, how do, how they get away with is beyond me. How do you get away with it, David? I don't think I do anything really that bad. Well, you you can tell me whether morally okay, what okay. I do is bad or good. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, I brought you a present. Okay. Oh, this is this is the week before Christmas. Impromptu. Okay? <laughs> David nearly killed the priest bringing them down here on a cold night like this. With Sorry them. about that. Okay. So uh, first thing first, um, you have to put that on. Okay. Christmas hat. Yeah, Christmas hat. And I I got a one to match the uniform. You got a black Christmas hat. Okay. Oh, the ha, the ha. Look, it doesn't fit the oak. I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do. Look, I'll sort this out. Because it's too cool not to put on. Where yeah. did you get the black one? Oh, let's do it. Where did you get the black one? In the, in the, in the clerical shop. There's no such thing Hold as a clerical now. shop. I have to take this off. To yeah, take them off. off. Is there a clerical shop? Yeah. Where a priest can go get stuff? Yeah. That's not true, is it? It suits you. <laughs> Where do you think we get the clothes from? Do you get sent them or do you buy them? Pardon? Do you get sent your clothes? Like, no, is there you, have, you have to buy them. You buy them yourself? Yeah, you have to buy them. Anyway, look, look, I know you love Christmas. I was up in your house today. Yeah. And it's just awesome. It is. And if I was Santa yeah. and I was doing the rounds and I came down your chimney, I don't think I'd go any further. I'd just <laughs> stay there. And I'd. it was just, I mean, he doesn't have... How many trees? I count uh, four just, trees. Four trees, yeah. Four trees. Yeah. And you have these massive life-size dolls. But don't forget, Vicky I, does that. Oh, like I thought Vicky, they were your dolls. Well, I pay for them. So technically they're, they're mine. But Vicky loves Christmas. Okay, well, I, I didn't think you were into dolls now, but... No, uh, I'm not. But, huh? I'm not into dolls. There's two big dolls in your hallway. They're life-size Santa Clauses. Getting into the festive oh, They're a bit spirit. freaky now. I, they I, are freaky. They are. They are. Mrs. Claus doesn't look right. No. Uh, I mean, <laughs> no. I, I was expecting if, Chucky, you know, from Child's Play. Chucky, yeah, to yeah. Come, come yeah. running out any minute. But anyway, um, so um, I was in um, Port Leach today in the tie shop getting presents for my nephews and nieces. And I saw this and I thought of you. Oh, All you right. bought this for me. Bought that for you. This is, can I open it? Yeah, and I hope you have um, you, you enjoy uh, playing it over uh, the oh, holidays. I have to open this now. Could you have got a harder one to... Oh, my God. Think fast and slap faster in this quick-handed card game. <laughs> Slapping in the face. Yeah. 
So is that you, know you wanting David? to slap me in the face? Yeah. You see, when I was young, if we were bold you get in school, we got a slap. Okay. And at home, there was always the threat of the wooden spoon. Had you a wooden spoon in your house? There was a stick. Really? There was a stick out. Mammy okay. would always threaten to get this stick out of the ditch. <laughs> but she never, ever got it. Oh, we were more sophisticated. We had a wooden spoon <laughs> and uh, we never got it. We were threatened with it. All right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I've heard you've, you're bold. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at the, the placemat here. Look at the word on that. I mean, look at that. Pastor Crow. Yeah. And I've heard you do rude things and you're crude and you're um, you're offensive to some people. Things, some things you, not you, but the things it, yeah. you say. And do. Am I offensive to you? But I don't follow you. I don't know what you do. Well, that's a good start. Well, that, look there. That's well, we'll put that's, that. That's enough for me. All right. That's enough for you. Yeah. Show me that song so and I'll put that I, over to my side. So because you're bold, I'm giving you a metaphorical slap. slap all right. Well, I can take that. I can take a metaphorical okay. we slap. We can have a game now if you want. Like. No, we won't have a game now. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll have a game there. We'll have okay. a game there. I live very near you, so you can come up at any time. Yeah, okay. And we, we played that game, but we played hardcore. Like we can actually, we used to play this game when we used to go out and we used to slap each other across the face. It's not a good game. Who's we? Me and my friends when we were younger. Okay. Good. It's a different time now though. All right. Okay. And I, 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 I got another game for you. Another one? Yeah, I just thought this was hilarious. I mean, I, I couldn't believe, when I saw this, I couldn't believe it now. Wait till you see this. This is, this is just. Is this for me as well? Uh, we'll fight over it, okay? I feel uh, guilty because I never got you any gifts. I'm going to have to tear into town uh, tomorrow and, and get no, you No, don't worry gifts. about that. No, no. But, uh, I mean, this is unbelievable. I mean, I, just, just I, have a look. The Exorcist car game. That's a game. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Like, that's actually after. Come here and look. Look, well. look, open it. Look. I didn't look know what's that. in it. It's it's crazy stuff. Like, the Exorcist card game. I have to see the cards. They're they're really weird. They are really weird, is right. And look, and and it says here, this is what you have to do before you're playing. So I'm the priest, right? Yeah. And you're the possessed, obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> obviously. So before I play a card, I have to hold the crucifix card close to your face. And I have to say, Cogit Potentium Christi Tui, which means... Uh, Where'd you get that game? The power of Christ compels you. Where'd you get the game? In the toy shop. Is that blasphemous? Uh, is that blasphemous? No, it's just weird. That is weird. I have to say, I've never seen that before. That is weird. Yeah, and it even weird. has little things for holding the cards. <laughs> Look, well, we won't be playing the Exorcist this, this is, game. This is the word we're living we, in. We, okay. won't be, we won't be playing the Exorcist game. Okay. Well, I'll tell you now, I do want to ask a few questions. Okay, off you go. All right. <clears throat> You're from Wexford, yeah? <laughs> it doesn't Kilkenny. say Camaros, okay? Kilkenny. And you know, the, the, the children up in the school in. Think that's a cameras. They think it's a camera. And I'm. I get off a slagging over it, I really do. But it's the same colour. You're the priest over Cameras and Castletown. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and do you know the rivalry that's there or was? I do. I've seen a few videos of, of Castletown and Cameras in action over the years. What do you think of that? Uh, it was more boxing, I think, than, than her. Well, it was rough already. But now that you're here, it's all we're all the one. We're all the one. We're all the we're one. All the we're, one. All the, we're, all, we're all the same in God's eyes. Where in Kilkenny did you grow up? Uh, South Kilkenny, little village called Schlievero, um, right across the bridge from Watford. It's only about two miles from Watford City. And big family? Uh, yeah, well, five. I'm the pig in the middle. 
All older, older brother, older sister, and two younger sisters. And you were right in the middle. Yep. Yeah. And so they all got spoiled, and I was just... really. Were you just not? Were you working? Were you farmers? Were you living in town? No, no. My my father was a fitter in Clover Meats, a factory down in in well, it's closed a long time ago now, but uh, in a factory in Ferrybank, just outside Waterford. And, not well. And my mother had the greatest profession of them all. She was a housewife. Very good. Yeah. And what was it like growing up? Great. Really, really great. Did I mean, uh, I mean, our whole life revolved. It's it. It kind of reminds me of Castletown and Camrose now. Like it, it revolved all around the parish and the community. So, uh, like I went to school in Sleeve Row. We did everything in Sleeve Row. That's where everything was. You know, we didn't need to go to Warford for anything. Only for the the shopping, maybe once a week. But uh, no, it was great. Great upbringing. And were you close to any particular sibling? Did you grow up in groups, pairs? No, no. See, you came from a huge family. I had mm. only five, so like we were all different. Well, there's only a year between us all, so we we were all kind of a uh, grew up together, you know. And we were lucky because uh, my dad had a family eleven, and uh, most of our cousins lived around us as well. So like we lived in our cousins' houses, and they lived in our house, and there was an open door policy. Yeah. So it was. I'm sure yours was the same. Mm. You know, and what was school like? Uh, I love school. Be good in it, and, and I was okay. Like, but uh, but um, I um, I was more into reading, I suppose, than 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 sports. So um, I remember um, when I was in primary school. Um, th- it was very strange back then. Like the the orders, like the Delisal brothers and the Carmelites, and uh, I didn't know who these people were, but. Um, Back then, and it was a very strange, in hindsight, a very strange thing to do. They used to go around to the schools and um, they used to ask uh, the children, anyone interested in, in, you know, a vocation or becoming a priest. So, uh, At what age were the children at this time? I'm sure, I suppose I was only about 10. I was very young. Yeah. yeah. Although I must have been 12. I mean, it wouldn't have been right, right or proper. But anyway, I remember they came to, I mean, I was typical childhood, you know, off enjoying myself. But I always remember um, they came into the school once and they um, they were asking, was anybody interested in, you know, becoming a priest? And of course, uh, my hand shot up into the air and thinking that half the class would do the same. Now, mm. you're going back now. This is going back. Uh, what year? Roughly. Oh, January, back 1975, I would say. Right. So uh, my hand shot up in the air and um, looked around. It was the only hand that was up in the air. <laughs> so I said, oh, God, I was taught, well, why did I, why, why have I an interest in this and nobody else has? But anyway, my hand shot up in the air and they said, grand. They took my name and address and said they'd be called to the house to see me. And uh, they did. They called to the house the next day. When I got home, I realized that uh, I didn't really want to do this. <laughs> like I was much too young. Because, you know, back then you went straight from school to the De La Salle Even brothers. primary school? Yeah. You went to secondary school. Like, for example, Kieran's College in Kilkenny. Most of the guys that went in there, the hope was that they would continue on from secondary school and go to the seminary. All right, okay. To study to be a priest. Okay. Hmm. And it was would have been the same with the Carmelites or the, the De La Salle brothers. So anyway, when I got home, I realized, Jane Mac, I'm only... 12 years of age, mm. 10 or 12 years of age. I'm much too young for this kind of stuff. Yeah. So I told my mother, look, there's going to be these priests calling and they're going to, you know, want to know, am I interested in going? And I have no interest at all. 
And I remember my mother saying, look, don't worry about it. I look after it. So the doorbell rang and she said, quick, get in under the stairs. <laughs> so I got in under the stairs and she just went out and she said to them, look, he's, he's too young and he's not interested. And that was the end of that. So, but, but you know, it was always on, always at the back of my mind, you know, to be a priest. Really? And so when you, when you left primary, primary school and you went to secondary school, what was that like? What was, like, was it just, you obviously weren't thinking about the priesthood then. No, no. Um, it, it just went, it, after that incident, it just went out of my head. Yeah. I forgot about it. And, um, but I always was envious of the, the you know, the fellows who went to school in De La Salle and Mount Sain, Christian Brothers or De La Salle, because I, I always felt that they were getting a, a much better education than I would. So, um, like we had, we had, we didn't have a choice. We went to the Tech and Sleeve Row. Mm. It was the local school. It was just up the road. And um, I was really, really lucky because um, when I went into secondary school, I think there was only about 15 in the class. And uh, when I went after, most people left and got a trade after the intercert, as it was known then. And then I uh, decided I'd go on and do the leaving. Mm. And so there's only four of us doing the leaving. So here I was getting a, you could say a private education yeah. in Sleeve whereas had I gone to the other schools, I would have just been one among Many. hundreds, really. So um, school was great. The tech and Sleeve was What were your favourite subjects in school? Uh, technical drawing. Uh, but we had, uh, <laughs> we had a, a priest who used to teach us religion, Father Moore. He's now down in Pilltown. And uh, he was only newly ordained and he's a young man and he was really cool. Mm. And uh, he would have made an impression, I suppose, on me. And were your family religious? Did you grow up in a religious household? Exact same as your same. family. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we went to Mass on Sundays. Um, we were marched to uh, confraternity some Sunday evenings. I still don't know what confraternity is. It's so long since I went to it. But uh, we'd be going mad because you'd want to be watching Little House on the Prairie or the Waltons or something on telly and you'd have to give up to go there. But look, we went up and we didn't mind because that's where you met your cousins and mm. that's where you met your friends. And yeah. uh, it, it was great fun. It was great fun. So um, like, but becoming a priest just wasn't an issue then because of, you know, you get wrapped up in school, you get wrapped up in mm, in, in, in what you're doing as a young fella. So, so no, no. Didn't even so think about when it you then. were doing your leave insert, what was the plan? In your head, what, what was your plan? Hadn't a clue. Just doing your leaving cert. Just doing your leaving cert. Try and get Back a good then, work. Back uh, then, there was a recession in Ireland. There was no, there was no work. And uh, most people um, either got a trade or they emigrated. So, um, I mean, in hindsight, looking back, you're talking back in 1982. Uh, there was no jobs. Um, so I had to decide what I was going to do. And, um, uh, very few people went to college back then. You had to have money to go to college because mm. it was expensive. So um, we were lucky in Waterford. We had a, a technical college. So uh, my dad said to me, um, would you not consider doing something to do with computers? Because that's the up and coming thing. Um, really, I wanted to be a draftsman or an architect. Mm. But um, I uh, there was no there was no work for draftsmen back then or, and they were poorly paid so I said look I'll go and do um, industrial computing which is what I did in, in the college in Waterford and um, it was great. What age were you then? 16? 16, 16, 16. 16. 
That was young to be... Uh, you see, the world was very small back then. Um, like, you know, we had lived in, in a kind of very, in a bubble yeah. out in Schlieveru where everything revolved around the community. And did you move to Waterford then? Or come home every night? Oh, sure, it was only three miles out the road. Oh, yeah. On my bike. <laughs> Cycled to college every day. Uh, and it was great because it was a real eye-opener because, like, suddenly you were in the big city and uh, you're meeting new people, new people. And like, uh, funny enough, the, the one guy, the two guys I made friends with were two Muslims who were over from Jordan uh, to study engineering, uh, Majdi Hamad and Hassan al Lamoudi. So suddenly you're, you're finding that the world is much bigger than Slave Rue. You know, there's, mm. there's other religions and there's other people and um, ways of thinking, ways yeah, of and there's girls. And mm. uh, it was just awesome. Like it was, it was great. And how long did you do that course for? Uh, did it for two years, did well. Uh, the fallout rate was huge because people did it and they didn't know what it was about. Uh, industri uh, you know, industrial computing was more electronics, you know, it was all about programming, electronics and things like that. And uh, whereas I did enjoy it, I didn't want to spend the rest of my life sitting at a computer programming. Did you know that when you were doing it? Uh, yes. But you were just going to flow. Well, there was no point giving up. It was only two years. So why not get the qualification and then see what happens? Mm. So uh, like about 40 people started the course, only 10 finished. Um, I was one of the 10 and uh, there was no work. One fell out of the 10 got a job. So what to do next? Ah, remember I was interested in being a priest. And I said, nah. No, I'm enjoying myself too much here. <laughs> so uh, I said, uh, well, look, you always want to be a draftsman. Go back and do study to be a draftsman. So I went back to the same college and did another two years of production engineering. And production engineering, for anybody who doesn't know, is the study of, it involves some drawing because it's a study of factories, mm. how the raw materials come in, how the, finished product gets shipped out, how you make the stuff as efficiently as possible. And I just found that really, really interesting. Um, I did a test later on in years to find out what kind of a brain I had and it's an analytical. So I'd be very logical and everything has to follow the steps and mm. so on and so forth. So that just that fed ticked into all this. The boxes. Yeah, ticked all the boxes for me. And I, I really, really loved it. And this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, I studied that for uh, two years and I did really well. And I was offered a job at the end of it. Cool. Doing where? Uh, in a factory in Waterford uh, and an engineering shop drilling holes all day, every day on a CNC machine. So on two shifts. So here I was. All day, every day. So you took that job? I took it. There was, no, there was no other option. Did it pay well? No. £84 a week. At the time, that wouldn't have been bad. Uh, no, it was bad. Was it? Oh, yeah, it was. Um, £84. And um, no, no, it was grand, like, but you wouldn't, I mean, you'd be saving a long time to buy a car on that. Uh, by the time you, you know, you, yeah. you, you earn your keep or whatever. So I did that for a year and I remember after two months saying, look, I'm going to do this for a year. And uh, if I'm still doing it after a year, if I don't see any other opportunities, I'm going to leave it and do something else because I didn't want to spend my life doing that. 
Now, I work with guys who just love that kind of work and fair use to them. You know, they're, they're still doing it and they still love it. But it wasn't for me. And when you were, your circle of friends at the time, obviously you had a circle of friends and they were all starting their new jobs and doing yes. the same things. Would you be talking together at the weekend going, oh, I don't know if I'm going to stay this or what were uh, your... Nobody had any options back then. So it was, you either stayed in the job or you emigrated. You went to London. So if you had a job, people thought you were lucky to have one. You were, yeah, you were really, really lucky to have it. I mean, when I got that job, I mean, it was, you know, you were so lucky to have a job. So, I mean, you did it. You did it. Now, your heart mightn't have been in it, but you did it. So um, I was really lucky. I mean, I've been so lucky all through life because two weeks before my year was up, uh, a manager came out of the office and said, um, we have a, a sister company and uh, they're looking for somebody in the office to uh, order all the materials. Uh, they built custom built machines. And they said, would you be interested? I said, yeah. So I went into the office and there I was drawing machine parts. Doing things you like doing. Doing things I like doing. And uh, that was great. And I really loved it. Uh, did it for two years. Uh, unfortunately, the company then closed down because they weren't making money. But we had made machines for a company in Waterford called Bosch and Lam, who make contact lenses. And um, when the company I worked for was closing down, they offered me a job up there. So here I was at, at 25 years of age, uh, going to work for a big American multinational. And um, I mean, it was like working in a palace. Really? You know? Oh, yeah. You told you I've met it. Well, they had money, like, so they were able to, I mean. And were you getting paid more then? Oh, yeah. And they were giving you bonuses at Christmas and they were, you know, they were having office parties and, and like, and like Bashanam was, uh, they make contact lenses. And there was, I suppose, about when I started, there was about 200 people there, of which 180 would have been ladies, women, did most of the work. They always do most of the work. But anyway, so here I was blessed among women. And uh, one of the men among many women. Yeah. And it was great. And uh, I had some fun there. I really did, you know, because my job was to, you know, if there was any defects in the lens, I had to, lenses, I had to go find out what was causing the defects. So it meant going around speaking to all these different people every day and having the crack and... Endless your, opportunities. Yeah, and doing your job at the same time. So I, so you pretty much had the perfect job, perfect situation for a 25-year-old. Yep. Yep. It was great. So how long did you stay at that? Uh, it only lasted a year um, because of all these, you know, big companies, they all have budgets and, mm. you know, when you're in your temporary and then after the year they had to review their budget. Unfortunately, there wasn't enough money to keep Brian uh, implied. So, oh, so they said, look, <clears throat> and my heart was broke because I had worked really, really, really worked hard. Yeah. You know, to, to make an impression. But here they were saying, no, we, we don't have a budget, so you have to go. Did that hit you hard? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, but luckily enough, uh, it wasn't for too long because uh, they had another company in Waterford called Ray-Ban, who made Ray-Ban sunglasses, and they were looking for a supervisor. So um, I went for that job and I got it. So I wasn't, I went, went straight from one to the other. And this was just an awesome job. I was supervisor of a production line. Of 60 ladies. 
Sounds like a dream here so far. Does it? Well, it's pretty much. 25 years of age. Uh, yeah. I worked in the wood. Had, you know, I had to do to, to look at a lady. I had to go out at night and look for one. Oh, no. I, I, I mean, look, look, they range from, you know, 18 up to 60, you know. So it was, but it was a little bit of heaven. And I had a ball there. It was absolutely brilliant. Now, it was hard because um, I got into trouble a few times uh, over things I said and did because, um, you know, like when I was a supervisor, I never felt I was a supervisor. I felt I worked with people. You didn't work for me. You work with me. You work with me and we work together to make it happen. So like if they all came in one morning and it was freezing cold, I'd say, look, go get a cup of tea. Whereas in the production line next door, the other supervisor was saying, get your heads down, get the numbers. Mm. And next thing they'd see all my... <laughs> heading out. All the girls heading into the canteen from my side. So there's a, a bit of conflict every now and then. You know, you go out one day, I remember going out one day, there was this girl knitting. And uh, I said, you're knitting? Yeah, yeah, my target done. Yeah, I'm knitting. <laughs> and I said, would you not do a few more? No, 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 my target's done. I, I'm knitting. I said, oh, come on, do a few more. No, you know, and the union was on our side, so I couldn't do anything. But you had all these incidences, mm. you know. So, I mean, I had 60 ladies. I say I had about 20 pregnancies. I was there for 10 years. You were there for 10 20, years? Yeah, I, was, I had about 20 pregnancies. So, I, as I said, I was with the ladies more than their husbands were during that time. Yeah. So, um, you know, when people ask me why I never got married, I suppose there's a, probably a, one of the reasons I've been through so many pregnancies, I suppose. None of them were yours, though. What? Were any of them yours? What do you mean none of them? Were any of the babies yours? No. Well, then you haven't really had the full, you Oh, know. I had them for eight and a half <laughs> hours a day. So it stressed you out? Well, it was very stressful. You know, because I had to make sure that these, you know, we had delivered these amount of glasses every day. And, you know, when you have, you know, one lady came in, she used to say, um, I have to go see the my doctor. And this mm. was every week, every week. And I'm going, like, every week? And during this time, where were you living? I was living at home. Still? Yeah. yeah. And had you any girlfriends? Yeah. Long term? Uh, yeah, but, 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 you know, once it started getting a bit serious, I kind of started, you know, and pulling back. Like During that know. time, were you religious? Like, were you? Uh, well, I went to Mass every Sunday, uh, but was I particularly religious? No, no. But I always, you know, kept, you know, the, the routine and, 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 and going to Mass and all that. Um. But like I worked uh, there for 10 years. I finished there in about 1990. And again, that company closed down. So I was left, you know, unemployed for a week because um, another company you probably know called Waterford Crystal. Yeah. It's a huge big company in Waterford. And, and when I was growing up, that was the dream job to have was to work in Waterford Crystal because their wages were so good and they had, you know, I mean, they had so many, you know, um, opportunities there. So I got a phone call and um, asked, would I go work uh, for them? Would I go for an interview? And I said, what kind of job is it? And they said, well, we have new computer system in. It's to track, you know, the development of new products. They were developing something like 200 to 400 new products a year and they had to have a system to track it. 
So uh, they got in the system, but uh, had failed and they wanted somebody to come in and uh, get it up and going. So uh, this isn't my field of expertise at all, but sure, look, I went for the interview and I hate sitting across from people like this because this is kind of the defense. This is the defense position. I prefer to be sitting there. But anyway, uh, I went to this interview and there was three people there and I was here yeah. and um, they started interviewing me and they started asking all these really difficult, awkward questions like how would you deal with this situation and how would you deal with that situation? How would you deal with this person? How would you deal with that person? And they were getting very aggressive. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. How many people on the Three. panel? Three. Three. Getting very aggressive. And I sat there and I answered her questions. But after four or five of really kind of aggressive, I started laughing. <laughs> I just couldn't stop laughing. I said, listen, I said, to get anything done, you work with people and you speak to them. And that's how you get the job done. You work with them to get the job done. Hmm. And I said, I don't like your the way you're asking questions because that's not the way I operate. So uh, I just left and I said, that's it. That's the end of that. And uh, following day, they rang me up and said they wanted me to, to start work. Oh, so they were testing you to see if you were a monkey. Well, I asked him a few months later, you know, how come how did I get the job? And uh, he said, because you're the only one who laughed. He said, everybody else just got very aggressive and you know, that's cool. But you're, what's the point in getting aggressive and nasty? And I mean, life's too short. Have you ever got aggressive and nasty? Oh, yeah. So sometimes you need to be aggressive and nasty. Oh, you do. Yeah. 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 It takes a lot, though. It takes a lot to, 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 to roil me. So how long did you stay in Waterford Crystal and did you like that job? Uh, Ten years. Ten years. And uh, again, I... I, I'm really lucky. There was, never was a day I didn't want to go to work. I, lo I love the work there. And uh, this was my ideal job because um, I was working with people across the whole factory and uh, you met so many people every day. And uh, there was nothing you couldn't achieve by talking to people and, you know, talking it through with them and, 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 and getting getting things done. You know, and were you the type of boss people came to, to tell your their problems? Well, I wasn't the boss. You know, I was just part of a team, okay? And um, I was in an office with, you know, five or six, again, mostly women, which was great. Uh, we had some some great laughs. But uh, because I was working, you know, developing all these new products, I used to work with a lot of people from America, marketing departments in America and in Ireland. And, um, you know, my job was to say, you know, this is how much this product is going to cost you and this is how much the box is going to cost you and this is what we can sell it for, you know? And you had to work with the designers and you had to work with all these different marketing people to get the job done. But um, all through the time, you know, I was working with people who were incredibly wealthy, you know? Um, you've heard of, um, you know, just all these these big designers, okay? Mm. And... Uh, I just used to meet them and uh, one thing struck me about them. They all seemed miserable. They really did. Um, I always remember this this lady, her name was Isabella Blow and um, uh, Philip Tracy, uh, the hat designer, um, he, he was uh, he was her muse. OK, so um, he worked with her the whole time. 
this was a project, like he would have, um, and, and Isabel would have worked together. And uh, she was a little bit eccentric, like she'd come into work, she was into hats because Philip Tracy. And she'd come into, into work, she could have a Brillo pad stuck on her head as a hat or a baseball. But um, she struck me as a very sad kind of person. You couldn't please these people. You know, all these designers are very hard to please. They'll always want something that they can't have. And, uh, but, um, you know, that that lady subsequently committed suicide like a few months later. And we were just gobsmacked, like, because she had, in our, in our, in our opinion, she had everything you possibly want in life. And here she was, you know, obviously miserable behind it all, you know. And I used to meet the buyers from Macy's and Bloomingdale's and, you know, they'd walk into the showroom and they'd be demanding this, demanding that. And they were never happy, never happy. You know, you could see in their faces, they just weren't happy. And, and that kind of made me think about life, like, what's life all about? You know, how come these people seem to have everything and yet they're very, you know, downbeat and miserable and given out the whole time and never happy and you know it just made me think and know. when and at that time what were your hobbies what were you doing outside work oh i was cycling around the country i i mean i used to love cycling so and a sunday you, morning cycling that was my and were you happy race. or were was there, did i you was think there was something no i was always happy and um i mean because i had a good job i had a, a Nice car, not as nice as yours now, but it's a nice car. I've had a good few piles. And, you know, a nice house and lovely girlfriends and lovely holidays. I mean, I, I've traveled the world. Uh, but behind it all, like there was, you know, just something niggling at the back of my head the whole time. You know, is this what life is all about? And why, why, why do I, do I not want to get serious in a relationship? Why do I not want to get married? Because... I love kids, like, you know, I mean, my nephews and nieces are absolutely fantastic. Like, so why didn't I want that? And then, like, I was in an office with, you know, people and uh, suddenly you realize, like, you know, they're always coming up to me with problems, maybe because it was part of my job, but, you know, they're coming to me with personal problems and asking me, what did I think? And I'm saying, well, okay, why, why, why are they asking me all these things? And then, you know, um, for some reason, when I was traveling to work in Waterford Crystal, I, um, we were on flexi time. Okay. So you didn't, you could, didn't have to be worked till nine o'clock as the latest you, you, you could be in. And, uh, I'm an early riser. So, um, I used to be passing, going through Waterford early in the morning and, um, there's lots of churches in Waterford and I used to be passing these churches. And, uh, one morning I just said, I'm going in here and I went in. And I uh, just sat there for about 10 minutes. And that was it, you know. Next morning I went and said, oh, I'll go in again. And, uh, you know, I just... But what, 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 did it, what were you feeling? Like, what was... When you were sitting there for 10 minutes? Um, I used to sit there going, like, what's this all about? You know, um, uh, you know, and, and at that time it was all about the church scandals and the abuse crisis and all that. And I used to go in and just sit there in silence going... Like, what's life all about, you know? And uh, you were having an internal dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. So did someone answer? Um, no, I, it was all questions. It was all questions. And, uh, you know, then I started thinking about, you know, when I was younger and, and the mass itself, like what, why, what's the attraction with mass? 
you know, a year when I was younger, I used to be bored, but now I was like, how can they expect us to believe that God is present in a little, you know, piece of bread? And why are we celebrating all these different things and the way we do? And, uh, yeah, you know, and there was always why, why, why? And, um, at the same time, like I was working and I was saw, saw these wealthy people who were seen to be miserable. And then I had, you know, I was enjoying work and, and like, it was just, you know, what's it all about? Where can I get answers to these questions? <laughs> and uh, I think everyone wants to know that. Well, well, my answer was, well, nowhere really. So, you know, I just, just left it at that, you know. But there was something that attracted me to going to mass in the mornings. And uh, after a few years, I realized that that was the best part of my day because that just set me up for the rest of the day. So that no matter what happened during the day, I could the following morning just sit there and think about it. What were you thinking about? Whatever issues were going on during the day. Are you thinking, sitting in there, or are you talking to God? You're sitting in there thinking. And you might say, well, now, God, where are you in all of this? Are you there at all? How can you expect, you know, us to believe in you if, you know, you know, it was just all questions. Mm. But for some reason, you know, it was, it set me up for the day and I can't explain it. Okay. And you'd meet people there, you know, you'd meet a lot of elderly people there in the morning. I would be the only young person there. And, uh, you know, you meet young, you know, elderly people there. And they were just so genuine and friendly and comfortable in their skin. They knew who they were and they knew who God was. And I just felt I was a, an outsider. But in a way, I wanted to be like them, you know, to have a sense of 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 God and belonging and purpose. And yeah, exactly. Meaning, mm. meaning. So, um, so look, that, that went on for a good few years. And um, in 1999, uh, the factory in Waterford Crystal closed down. Uh, we all went into work in January and uh, there was these delight <coughs> and the county's firm had been sent in to uh, close down the factory. And um, I just saw what they did to all those people. Like here were people who had been working in a factory for, you know, 40 and 50 years. And, um, you know, they put a nice face on it, but really, you know, they were only treating them like numbers, you know, sorry, we have to leave you go. You know, there you go. There's your, your fuel pop and off you go. And that was it, you know? And I said, like, it's not right to treat people like that. They're not numbers, like they're, they're people. And, you know, so. I was totally disillusioned with, you know, with, with these big corporations and, and I've said, do I really want to spend my life working for somebody just to make a profit? Because that's all they're interested in at the end of the day is making money. That's all they're interested in. Um, they might pretend that they're interested in you, but they're not really. Uh, it's all about the bottom line at the end of the day. So, you know, when that happened, I kind of said, well, do I really want to spend the rest of my life working for you know, these big corporations making money for them. And, you know, they're only going to use me really at the end of the day. 
and um, and I had all these questions about life and about God and I had all this thing about, you know, I, I don't want to get married. I, 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 is there something wrong with me? Or, you know, um, and how come everybody comes to me with their problems? And um, I forgot to tell you that all through this, you know, um, I had an elderly neighbor and uh, she, she was one of my best friends. Like she was in her 80s, like, and I used to bring her off every Saturday to get her hair done and uh, do lottery tickets. And I was going to say, like, how come that's part of my life? Here I am, you know, in my 30s and 40s and one of my best friends is an 80 year old lady. But uh, so all these things go around in your brain. And um, I said, where can I get answer? Or, you know, where can I get some kind of, you know, answers for, for all these kind of things that are in my head? And like, there's nowhere to go. There was nowhere to go. What were your friends saying to you? What? When you'd say these things to your friends, what would they say? Wouldn't say to them. Why? What? Why? Um, because um, to me, it was a personal thing, you know, and it it wasn't something that you'd, nobody else would have an interest in it anyway, because most others were, you know, getting out of their life, they had kids, they had families, they had uh, their careers, um, you know, so, but, you know, and whereas I was enjoying it all, don't get me wrong, like, I, I, I there wasn't a day I didn't enjoy life, but I always had this kind of a, a niggle at the back mm. of my, my, brain like you know what's it all about what's life all about so I kind of said well do you know what I'd love to study philosophy and theology okay here I was 45 years of age now and I said okay um where can I do that and uh minute that's where you go okay and uh it turned out I just googled minute and uh it turned out to be the year of vocations. I didn't know such a thing existed. And uh, I said, okay, um, they have an open day up there. I go up and have a look, all right? So uh, I snuck up. I didn't know that even to know I was going. So I, I snuck up to me and it was on a Sunday afternoon, had a clue where I was going. And uh, I went in and I just sat down in the back of the hall and uh, these three lads got up and started talking about, um, their vocations and they were studying to be priests and uh, one of them um, he turned out to be a farmer from uh, County Offaly and uh, they, they were just really really interesting uh, another guy was from Donegal and uh, he had gone in at 18 years of age they were all shapes and sizes but like there was a hall full of, of, of men you know thinking of becoming priests so I just found it very interesting so and is it a hall full of men that have the same questions kind of lost philosophically or wondering in life all these questions so it's a whole group of men no you, you had all kinds you had those who who were very traditional and would have been like you know you know they would have been brought up catholic and they would have you know come from a very religious family and that's just what you do and that's the way I think it was in the past here in Ireland. Like, mm. you know, that's just what you do. Um, you go to Kieran's College and you become a priest. You know, I, I think the tradition was the oldest son got the farm. Mm. The next son then went to become a priest and then the rest took after themselves. But uh, no, there was all shapes and sizes. So I said, look, I'll never get an answer to these questions unless I 
go on and study. So I decided to give up work and I said, I went to my local parish priest, uh, Father Pat Comerford, who died just a few weeks ago, wonderful priest. And uh, he said, leave it with me. And I said, are you shocked? And he said, no. How could you not be shocked? I said, you're around 45 years of age. Anyway, I went to Pat and uh, the next week he said, I, the bishop wants to meet you. So uh, I got in the car with Pat and we drove up to the bishop. I didn't know where the bishop was. I remember saying to Pat in the car, Father Pat said, what do I call the bishop? Do I say bishop or your lordship or do I kiss a ring or what do I do? And he said, no, no, just call him, just call him bishop. So I went in and uh, he had lunch for us and uh, it was a real Father Ted moment because the big long table and he was at one end and I was at the other and Father Pat was in the middle and they had, he had a housekeeper who served up the lunch and uh, uh, Bishop Freeman uh, was at one end and the other and we were making small talk all along and then when we finished eating he said, uh, now he said, uh, why do you want to become a priest? And I said to him more or less what I, I've said to you. Uh, and uh, then, but that week, an awful you know, stories about, you know, abuse had come out. Mm. And uh, and I went on a rant and I said, but look, I don't think after what's happened in the news this week that I, I really want to do this, you know. And I said, it's absolutely atrocious and it's it's just shocking. And, and like, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. And um, he just sat in silence for a few moments. And then he said to me, he said, Brian, he said, um, do you believe in love? And I said, I do. And then he said, then you're doing the right thing. So uh, that kind of left me speechless. So um, I went home and I thought about it and I said, well, I'll give it a go. Because otherwise I'd never have answers to these questions. So, um, Did so you discuss it with anyone other than yourself? Uh, no. Something I wanted to do. And there was no point discussing it with everybody else. Uh, uh, but I, I told my father and mother and uh, they weren't, uh, I thought they weren't too surprised. Okay. And uh, I went around and told all my friends that I had made the decision to go and uh, I, I don't think they were too surprised. But um, I always remember uh, going up for the first year. I thought I was going to Maine. It was going to be locked in a prison for six years. Because uh, you hear all these stories mm. about, uh, you know, seminaries. And um, uh, I went up and because uh, you're given a little room. Yeah, first day in, yeah. what happens? First day in, uh, I met at the door by uh, a guy who was in second year. Take all your clothes. Huh? Did they give you like a robe? Take no. all your belongings off you? No, no, no. You, you drove up my car, walked in. Uh, guy there, can I give you a hand? Yeah. I. He told me he's in second year. And uh, I said, what's it like? And he said, it's great. I said, what did you do before you, you came in here? He says, uh, I'm a doctor. He said, you're a doctor. Yeah, he said, I was a doctor in, in Glasgow and Derry and now I'm doing this. Uh, I don't know that's grand. Next fellow I met uh, was a hotel manager from Burr. Uh, next fellow I met was a bartender from Dubai. Next fellow I met was a golf, a green caper from the K Club. 
So there were all these guys like, which I would never have met mm. only for we were all in the one class. And um, I mean, it was mind boggling the amount. There was 34 of us starting the one day. One of the guys was actually an extra in Hollywood. He had been the West Wing and Desperate Housewives. And uh, uh, he had some journey like I me. Mean, he, he, he had been searching for answers and he did everything. I mean, he worked in movies. He worked in Disneyland. He worked at Calvin Klein. He did all these jobs looking for answers, you know. So I couldn't believe it because I up to then I felt I was the only person in the world with all these kind of uh, questions. Mm. But uh, no, here was a bunch of fellas like with the same kind of a uh, so you, you mindset. So you go in on your first day. What are you learning? What What's the lecturer saying? Uh, you do two years of philosophy and then you do three years of theology. And uh, philosophy is the study of wisdom, uh, what life is all about, all the big questions in life. Does God exist? What is love? What is beauty? And Why what, are we here? What, what philosophers do they reference the most? Uh, every Everyone, all of them. Aristotle, Plato, Kant, you name it. It's every one of them. And, um, you know, it, it was great. Like, I mean, it was straight out of Harry Potter. Like, you know, you know the way in Harry Potter you see these big halls and mm. all these professors and I, the hero was in the middle of all this. It was just awesome. And, and like, we weren't on, it wasn't just the seminarians, the guys studying for priests. We were in classes with the uh, third level students. So like we were in class, <laughs> we were in class with 19 and 20 year old, 20 year olds. It was a great experience. And how does the philosophy and the bleed with religion? Um, well, unless you're satisfied that there is a God and God exists. And I mean, what's the point in... <laughs> Studying, studying theology, which is study of God, unless you, you're convinced that he does exist. And I was really blessed because, I mean, to have two years to study philosophy was just awesome. Hmm. It was just awesome. And like, I mean, your, your, your lectures, you're not, they're not all Catholic. I mean, one of our lecturers was a complete atheist. You know, the other was, you know, Church of Ireland. They were all different denominations. And like... People think when you go to Maynooch, you're going to be brainwashed. It was totally opposite. Like you were listening to all these different scenarios and all these different viewpoints. And it was just, it was just really, really great. When you were there, did you have a moment? No. Of clarity? No. No. I just, I just felt this is what I, I had always wanted to do. And here I was doing it. And uh, not only that, but I was doing it with, with 34 other, well, there was about 130, but 130 other guys who had the same mindset as me, whom I'd never met before. Like, like, because when you're down on water on your own, <laughs> you're, <laughs> I mean, who else is going to have that mindset? Mm. Maybe there are people, I don't know. But here I was with other, you know, men who had that same mindset. And, um, and like, they, the, the, their ages went from 18 all the way up. The oldest was, was in early in the sixties, you know, so they were all, all different guys, like all different backgrounds, all different, um, all different, you know, viewpoints, you know, I mean, one of the guys, you know, he said, God, uh, even after doing 
you know, five years of study, was still convinced God was the man on the beard floating on the cloud. And like, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. <laughs> but, but that's the way some people are, you know. Mm. So, you know, but it was just a great experience to, to and, and, and when you're, you know, in a class with younger people as well, you get to see how they think and, and what their mindset is. And uh, it was just great. So did you get to a stage where you were, I want to do this. I want to help people. I want to be there for people. I want to be a priest for that reason. Or was it God wants me to, this is my path. This is what I was born for. You know yourself, okay? I say to all young people, like, you know, there's nothing worse in life than, you know, doing something that you're unhappy doing. Like everybody has a vocation in life, okay? And once you find that vocation, you know it's right for you. Uh, I mean, for me, Nurses are absolutely amazing. A good nurse is just amazing. But that's a vocation. You have to be built for that kind. Some people aren't built to be nurses, you know, and you know straight away when you meet them, mm. you know, but a good nurse is just, and there's so many of them, they're just absolutely, same with doctors, same with everything in life, you know. When you find what's right for you, you'll know it. And that's what you should be doing. So when did you know? Um... I think when I went to Maynooth, I just felt all these, all these things had fallen into place. You know, this is, because I was enjoying it. Felt like you belonged. Felt like I belonged. And like after two years of philosophy, you have to make a decision. Are you going to go and study theology or are you going to, you know, fall out? Hmm. But I was enjoying myself so much. But like when you study theology, there's, an, there's also another year where you go and do practical work. So they send you out to a parish to work. They send you to a hospital to work. And I have to say, of all the years in Maynooth, the best year was the year that you were sent out to do the practical work because you really got first-hand experience of what it was like to be on the front line. So I was working in University Hospital Cork as a chaplain. And like you were faced, you were in A&E every day. Um, there was tragedy and you were there. Like, and you know, I mean, that is... That really, you know, cements if that's what you want to do, you know, just to be there for people when when they need somebody to to listen to and talk that, to. That's what I, I meant to ask you. Um, so is it very difficult? Does it weigh on you? Say as a priest, you were there when my father was passing. Yes. And I want to thank you for that because it's only when you're there and when you go in for your mom and for everyone, the comfort that gives. But I was thinking after, like, you do that all the time. So, like, that's what you do. So, like, you're saying last rites for people, you're visiting people when they're sick, you're doing their funerals. Yeah. You're getting to know them at their worst time. Yeah. At people's hardest time. Yeah. How does that not weigh on you? It does weigh on you. It weighs on you big time. Um, because... You know, people forget that um, you're a human too and you have family and you have friends and uh, bad things happen to them as well. So, like, you know, when, I, when I'm, when i you know, with a family, say, at a funeral, it could be very similar to something that I've had in my own family. So mm. it really, you know, you have to get the balance, your balances in life right, you know. And uh, um, 
you see, when you go to Maynooth, you're not just studying, okay? And I, this is what I think is important, I think, for everybody, not just guys studying to be a priest. But when you go up there, uh, they form you in four ways, spiritually, humanly, intellectually, and uh, pastorally. So academics is only one part of What's it. humanly? Uh, knowing who you are as a person. Because if you don't know who you are, how are you ever going to help anybody else? So, like, who are you, David? I'm a father. No, but who are you? David Cuddy. But, but I, I, if, if you were to ask me what I am, I define myself as a father and a husband okay. and a brother. Okay. I don't know how to define myself any other way. Okay. Well, look, take away, like, your name, okay? Yeah. So, you don't have a name. You're not David Cuddy. That, that's given to take that away, all right, and take away all your your designer uh, David Cuddy gear, and uh, then take away your family, mm-hmm. and uh, who are you? I have thought about this a lot. Like, I I genuinely believe that we're spiritual beings having a, a human experience. What does that mean? It means that we. I don't feel like when I'm talking to myself, say like when you're you're having a conversation with someone yeah, or say when I'm having a conversation with myself, I have a conversation with myself. Like there, I have an inner voice and the more you think about these things, the more they freak me out because I used to think religion was a, you know, same as you. You didn't really think about it too much. And then when you get older, you're there thinking, oh, there had is there something after this or is this real or what's real? And like you, you just feel like you're not really, this isn't real. This isn't exactly what it is. There's more. There's so much more. Yeah, but the, but like who are you? I'm just a man. Yeah, but what's a man? That's what we are. But, but, but what's that? I don't get me stumped. You what? tell me. Uh, a lot of people, okay, I wonder where that comes from. Where's that energy coming from? Like, and for me, there's only one answer to that. And for me, now, you might disagree with me, but for me, there's only one source of that energy, and that's God. Your religion is your life and how you live it. Mm. Okay? So that's what religion is. It's your life and how you live it and how you practice, all right? Um, you know, you, you hear people saying, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I mean, to me, that's a cop out because yeah. your religion is your life, mm. you know, and how you live it. So, like, what does it mean to be spiritual? Does it mean to be absorbed in yourself? Or does it mean to be absorbed in God and, but, and, and living as God wants you to live? Which but it's is, the, it's the, I think it's because it's so confusing. It's not, it's simple. Well, it's not, because I'm confused. Okay, how are you confused? Right, so as I get older, right, and as life as it does, it takes things away, right? So the older you get, life takes things away, and you experience more things. But the more that you experience, the bulk of them seem to be hardships. The bulk of the things that you experience are hard. They're tough. Yes. It's... Constant suffering. Yes. And you have to know that life is constant suffering. 
And then you're there thinking, what? what is the point? Oh, God, all these things happen. And if you think about that too much, you're there thinking, oh, what's like what you're thinking, what's the point of it all? What's the reason? But deep down, but deep down, if you really take away all the rubbish, and that you only figure that out when you go through something hard, all the stuff doesn't matter. Like what you said, none of it matters, except for the people that you love and how you feel yourself. Am I conducting myself the way I should be? Am I, am I happy with how I'm conducting myself? Am I taking on what I should be taking on and carrying it? Okay. And that's what I feel I'm doing God's work in the devil's playground by just taking on my little burdens, pushing through. And that's that's how... And like, I mean, everybody's different now. I mean, like... I can't convert anyone. The only person you can convert is yourself. All right. And for me, what gives me meaning, everybody needs, everybody needs, needs a well to go to, you know, you need, you need a well to go to, to nourish your body, but you need a well to go to, to nourish your spirit as well. You know, and uh, lots of people now, I mean, Brezzy goes while swimming that nourishes his spiritual life. Mm. People do yoga that nourishes their spiritual life. I go to God and like, I mean, I have a choice. I can become a Buddhist. I can become a Hindu. I can become Muslim. But for me, nothing can surpass, you know, Jesus and Christianity because, I mean, we have real presence in our lives and that's what nourishes me and that's what keeps me going. Like we're going to Christmas. Mm. I mean, we believe in a God who came on earth as a baby in a smelly old stable and who asked us to look after him. What does that say about our God? Like the, he asked us to look after him and uh, look how he suffered. But he guarantees us if we strive to follow him uh, and we will all suffer. It's part of life. You can't avoid it. But if we continue to try and follow him and his way of life, he guarantees us you know, something spectacular afterwards. So same question to you. Who are you? Me? Yeah. I'm I'm not Brian Griffin and family guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Brian Griffin and uh I'm I'm a child of God. And that's the only answer I can give that gives me uh, uh such great hope and and joy and uh you know no matter what happens in life uh I can fall back on him. And uh, have you had a moment where you felt God? Um, yes, yes, and no. It's and it's hard to explain. It's just uh, it's just a feeling you get, you know. Do you believe you're you or something controlling you? Nothing controlling me. God gives everyone free will, you know. You know, you have free will. He, he lets you off to do whatever. But I mean. He's always there for you. Uh, you know, he knows you're human. Um, we all make mistakes. He's always there to say, look, I'm still with you through it all and pick yourself up and keep going and do your best. What do you think happens when you die? Um, what happens when I die? I wish I knew. Everybody <laughs> everybody wants the answer to that question. What, what do you think but, happens? But the answer is, you know, don't worry about it. Trust in me. You'll be fine. 
I love you. You're grand. I mean, isn't that awesome? I think the whole thing's awesome. And the older I get, the more confused I am over how awesome the whole thing is. Yeah, well, you should be confused because it's not, it's not, <laughs> it's simple in many ways, but it's, it's complex if you wanted to. But, but basically it comes down to what I just said there. You know, that's as simple as it is. You ch- choose to believe that or you can choose to throw it away. Uh, most people throw it away, but I can't understand how you throw something like that away. I mean, it's just... It's it's, just, it's it's funny. The, it's actually too good to be true, but that's what gives me, you know, the the, the nourishment and strength to do what I do. You hear a, a lot of people, and uh, in the modern age, people let go of God and let go of religion, and they're um, they say, "Oh, I I wouldn't kill anyone, or I wouldn't do bad things because I'm a moral person. I don't need religion mm-hmm. to do that." Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Which I think is a little bit of a cop out. Because when you see at the start of the pandemic or anything like that, they were killing themselves over toilet paper. And, That's true, yeah. And I do think it's like that Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, if God is dead, be careful what replaced it. Yeah. Because if but you're, look, if you, I just find that when you, when you done theology. Yes. And you were reading about the, the Old Testament or the New Testament. Mm-hmm. The Old Testament, the more that you read it and listen about it, it's an amazing bunch of books when you think it was written 2,000 years ago and the stories will be passed down for what they think 15, 20,000 years. Yep. They're a very complex group of books as a moral code. Yes. And if you were living in that time, like, and we could be in a time like that in the morning, if you don't have individual responsibility and if you're not a God-fearing man, the world would just be anarchy. Totally. And we, we, we all, as we get rid of God, whatever God you believe in, you are building castles on sand. Okay. Um, but like, for example, if you go to Mass on Sunday, okay, I'll be reading the Gospel. It'll be read in every church around the world. And it's the story of how Mary found herself pregnant and how Joseph had the decision to stand by her or to walk away. Okay. And uh, I had a group of people yesterday and we sat down, we read that and we went through it. And uh, it just struck me how real it is because one of the ladies there, you know, said that relates to her because, you know, it spoke to her about her daughter who had a miscarriage and um, how her lady must have felt in that situation. And um, another lady said, like, it speaks to her because you know, it speaks to every single mother who is pregnant, that story and how, you know, how they feel when they're in that situation, whether the pregnancy is wanted or not wanted and how important the man is. I mean, Joseph could have walked away. He didn't. And look, I mean, what he was faced with. And, um, but he stood by Our Lady, you know, and, uh, what does that say to young men today? It says how important it is to do the right thing, you know? And um, like I'm a priest and I hear a lot of, um, you know, confessions and I hear a lot of ladies um, who are in a bad way and rightly so because of things that have happened to him. And um, it's nearly always, you know, where is the man? And 
Is he standing by you? And it's always a case of no. But just how relevant is that gospel to life today? You know, and it's so relevant. And if everybody, you know, would could appreciate it and 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 read it like that, I, I think, you know, it would make a huge difference to the world we live in and people's lives. And if everyone was just nicer to each other. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, if everybody was nicer, but like the reality is we're all human and, you know, we all have faults and failings and, you know, but uh, the challenge for us. Uh, what do you Christians, think the biggest challenge is for Christians? In the world today? Hmm. Uh, it's the same as it was back thousands of years ago. It's to it's to um, uh, try to, you know, make the world a better place. You know, you, you read in the Gospels like, I didn't understand any of this till I went and studied it, you know, but you, you talk about the kingdom of God. It's in the Bible several times in the New Testament. What's the kingdom of God? You know, it's not hereafter. It's right here. But it's not yet, you know, God wants us to make it a kingdom of God. He wants this earth to be a kingdom of God where everybody, you know, is doing their best by each other. And, and you know, it's there in many ways, like there's goodness out in the world. There really is a goodness in the world. Unfortunately, it doesn't get as much publicity as the negative things, but there is a goodness there, you know. And, uh, you know, there's so many good people, there's so many good families. Um, you know, uh, it's all about your attitude as well. You can choose to look at all the bad things in life or you can choose to look at all the good things in life, you know, and it's that's the challenge, I think, for us Christians is to look at the good in everybody. And as a priest, is your job to get more people into mass or to relay God more and Christianity more to people? Like if you if are you are you trying to make the flock bigger? Like, is that what you, what's your doctrine as you take on a parish? Uh, my ministry is to serve people. Okay. It's to, to, to serve as best I can. Okay. Uh, and it's to be there with people when they need me. Okay. And, um, you know, that's my ministry, but I can't do that on my own. Okay. I can only do that with other people and I can only do if God is, you know, it's not about you know, me trusting in God, I think it's in God trusting me to do what he wants me to do. So every morning I get up and I just go, God, what are we ahead of us today? Let's go do it. Are you allowed to do whatever you want? Like, okay. like does, would you ever be told by the Catholic Church or your bosses, don't, don't do things like that? Uh, no, I mean, like, <laughs> That's the beauty. That's the beauty of the church, in a way. You know, we kind of represent humanity. Like we're all shapes and sizes. We're all come from different lives. We come from different outlooks. Um, you know, that that's the worry I had going into Maynooth. Like, was I going to be a a square play? You know, a square peg being hammered into a round hole. You know, was I going to be have to conform to be a priest? Um, and it wasn't like that at all. Like, you know, for, for me, I'm, I'm Brian Griffin first and then I'm a priest. All right. Um, but you know, it, I have, you know, my way of doing things. The priest down the road will have his way of doing things. Another priest will have their way of doing things. 
we're like humanity. You know, we just all work together. Everybody mm. has their own talents. Everyone has their own gifts. And together we're in God's hands. And, and do you, you ever know. wonder why so many people are going to Islam? Um, is there? Yeah, there is. Well, you know, I was in that situation, you know, back years ago, like, what's it all about? And I, you know, I studied other religions and um, for me, the only one that had, you know, the rest of them were a bit, they weren't for me, you know. They're a lot stricter. It wasn't about strictness. It was about, you know, God, uh, Jesus, you know, I mean, he's on, I mean, for me, he offers everything. He offers like an explanation for everything that happens in life. Um, and it just, that's the, that's my wellspring. That's where I go to, you know, the others don't work for me. You know, they work for other people and that's great. Off you go. What part of your job do you hate? Um, what part do I hate? Um, that I don't like. Um, I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions now and you're going to have to be ready for them. There's there's a loneliness about priesthood. That's what I was meant to yeah. ask you. There's a loneliness there, yeah. Do you think it's um, unfair that you're not allowed to marry? Uh, no, I can totally understand it. Um, I, you know, it, 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 it is unfair that, you know, you know, there's priests in the church Anglican church who have converted to Catholicism and they are married and now they can be introduced into church. So yes, it is like, I can only speak for myself. It's not for me because I don't know how I get time to look after kids and a wife. Sure. None of us have time. Have you not? No, no one has time. Well, anyway. You just, you just make time. Yeah. But there's, there's lots of issues there, you know, that would need to be sorted out first. Yes. Do you hate Protestants? Love them. Because they're the most, I mean, they really understand their Bible and what it's all about. Us Catholics, you know, oof, who reads the Bible? Well, we hear it on Sundays. That's grand. That'll do. But they really are into their, their you know, their Gospels. And, you know, it, it's funny because I do meet a lot of Church of Ireland people, you know, as, as you know, at, at different things. And uh, they're the same as us. They're, they're, they're no different. They have a different way of looking at things. Do, and Do you look at monks like they're the losers of the religious orders? That's an awful thing to say. No, I'm just wondering. Why would you say that? I often just wonder that. I think they're remarkable people. I don't know how they do what they do because that's not for me. Do you think your soul exists before you're born and continues to exist after? Um, I wish I could answer that question. I don't know. Uh, a lot of our faith is about trusting in God. And... Um, you know, we get that from the Gospels. And um, if that gives me life, yes, I will. I think so. Yes, that that's good for me. You know, eternity is a scary thing. Terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. What's eternity like? Does it not freak you out that every atom in your body was born in a star? Where do you get that from? Does it, every bit of carbon in our body was born in a dying star? Well, like, it's all part of this ginormous energy. You know, you know, I've friends who don't believe in God at all and you say it all started with a big bang and I keep saying well what caused the big bang like there's no <laughs> something had to cause it I call that something God I don't know where they're going with it but I call that something God and um, 
we're all part of that God and that's just totally awesome. I think that. I think that we're all a little bit of God. And well, I, come here. You made your confirmation, didn't you? Yeah. What's that about? I did. What's well, I confirmation? Done that when I was a child. Yeah. What's confirmation? That's when you first get God, isn't it? No, it's not. And you it? see, you're typical of every. I mean, I, and me. I didn't do two years in. No, 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 no. But you see, we all leave school at twelve years of age, having doing religion, and that's where we are spiritually. We're twelve year olds, and I've been really lucky and blessed that I got to do what I got to do, and I totally understand that you know life is so busy for people and there's nowhere to go and that's the big fault with the church catholic church they haven't been you know educating people through the years like they drop it at 12 and then off you go instead of saying no this is much more profound and meaning and we need to continue this and that's something i'd like to do i think that's a good thing to do yeah what's the meaning of life what's the meaning of life okay the meaning of life is uh it's it's right there in the Gospels. What's the greatest commandment? Well, I'd like to think it's thou shalt not kill. No. <laughs> you don't think that's the greatest one? What no. is? To love God and your neighbour as yourself. And that's the meaning of life. We live in a society now, and I mean, I was part of it, where it's all about me, you know, mm. what I want and, you know, what gives me you know, it, it, it's all looking inwards. The real key to life is to look out and give and give and give. And the more you give, the more you get back. And I can, I'm a testament to that. The more you give in life, the more you get back. And there's a reluctance in all of us to give. We refer to, you know, and God love our children with these smartphones and mm. because like that's all inner, inner, inner stuff, you know. And God says, no, give. You ever look at the shape of a cross? Yeah. Okay, it's vertical. That's about your relationship with God and yourself. And then it's horizontal. And that's the relationship between you and everybody else. And the two of them are just as important as each other. And uh, lots of people aren't doing the horizontal part. Have uh, you ever done psychedelics? <laughs> uh, music, yeah. No. 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 You should. Do you believe in parallel universe? Why should I? Um, could enhance everything that I'm, you already I'm feel. An, I'm enhanced enough as it is. Thank uh, you very much. You don't know what to I'm, try. I'm a pioneer since I was 12. I don't need that stuff. I mean, th that's not life. I mean, that gives you a quick thrill. I mean, but like, that's not living. Come on. Can all sins be forgiven? What's a sin, David? What's a sin? Yeah. There's loads of different sins. No, what's a sin? Doing something wrong. What's wrong? Well, name some of the things in the commandments there. Thou shalt not kill, covet thy neighbor's wife. All those ones. Yeah, but you're listing off a list of things. Sin basically is turning away from love, turning away from God. So whenever you turn away from God or turn away from love, same thing, love and God are the same thing. That's a sin. All right. I don't like the word sin. I call it turning away from love. So, I mean, you have the Ten Commandments. That was used to... To, by Moses many centuries ago, mm. four or five centuries ago, to, to explain to people. I mean, we've come a long way since then, you know, and, and that's ingrained in us, you know. So, um, but, do, but do you think by not living the way, not doing all the things that we're supposed to do, like going to Mass every week and not doing our confession and not holding strong on the Gospels and stuff, are we, are we sinning? 
are we are you do, like if you miss mass because you're doing something i mean it's it's in, it's in all the gospels the good samaritan if you walk over somebody in the street to get into mass i mean is that right no it's not you look after the person in the street first you know and like people people are doing that you know people are doing that you just have to open your eyes to see it i see so much goodness in Castletown and, and, and Cam Ross, it's just remarkable the things I see. Do you ever meet people you don't like? Of course I do. And there's people who don't like me. So the important thing is, you know, let them be. But don't don't let that weigh in on you. You know, you, you if they want to be like that, let them off. What things but you do what, what's more like... What things weigh on you? What things weigh on me? Yeah, like what things bother you the most now? Uh, Say like I, because I often wonder like, you know I've a, you know I, I have a family and I have kids and yes. I have work. So you have your work and you have obviously people that you deal with. There yeah. must be parts of your job to go. Oh God, I'm so sick of this. I hate this. I wish that wasn't happening. Uh, you, you get that the whole time. I mean, when a funeral. I mean, the, the minute I hear a funeral, my heart just sinks. You know because. Because you're going into, you know, it's an awful situation to be going into. But like. Have you ever found it hard to get through one? Oh, yeah. Sometimes I say, I can't do this. But you just get up and you, you do. You, you get there, you know. Have you ever felt evil? Um, I choose to laugh in the face of evil. I really do. But there is evil out there. I mean, um. I mean, there's, there's people that say the devil don't exist, you know, and but like I say to them, you know, look at Hitler and World War Two. Can you give me a, a psychological or a philosophical or, 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 or a reason why that happened? I mean, how did that happen? That's, uh, did that's you ever read that devil. book, Ordinary Men? No. Who wrote it? I can't remember, but it just it documented how ordinary people that had ordinary lives ended up murdering people in Nazi Germany. Yeah. And it's like peer pressure and people not wanting to... But again, it's all about people not knowing who they are and who God is. And once you know who you are and who God is, you can't go wrong. Because we all have the potential to be evil. Yeah. Everybody has. Everybody, I mean, you're not, what's the first thing Pope Francis said when he became Pope? The first thing he said, I'm a sinner. Have you ever met the Pope? No. Do you think of him as divine? No, he's human. How could you think the Pope is divine? Because. He's a human being. Is he not the. He's, he's God, he's Jesus representative on the earth. What does that mean? He represents Jesus. So is he closer to Jesus? He's the same as everybody else. He's human. He has to get up every day. He has to make a choice. You have to make a choice. And he's he's been chosen to represent Jesus on this earth. And he does that to the best of his ability. But at the end of the day, he's a man the same as everybody else. If I could grant you one wish, what would it be? One wish? Jenny Mike, that's a hard one. Um, Any wish? Um... I don't know. I'd have to think about it. I don't, I don't live in the land of wishes. I, 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 
I just gave you a wish. <laughs> I gave you a wish. Yeah, it was not real. What's I tried your to give the real story word. in the Bible? Uh, my favorite story in the Bible, uh, there's so many of them. Um, I think um, it's the one about Peter denying Jesus three times. And the reason is because um, it just shows that no matter what we do here on earth, no matter how broken we are, no matter how bad we might feel about things we're done, you know, God will always be by our side and he'll always forgive anything that we've done. And, you know, that might sound corny and it might sound alien to many people because we're currently living in a world where nobody's ever forgiven for anything and you're cut off or you're cancelled if you do anything wrong. Um, where does that get you? That only builds anger and, and you know, that's not God. God, God forgives. God always sees the good in everybody. We mightn't see it. God does. And uh, when you know that, um, that'll get you through anything. Have you ever performed an exorcism? No, but I've had very strange um, uh, incidents. And um, um, I don't know many priests who have. I know that in each diocese there is a priest assigned to do that kind of work. And uh, they have done it. Uh, but no, I, I just had some, you know, you people felt contacting me about things that were happening them that happening them and uh, uh, some of them had to do with psychedelics. <laughs> Can do that. I had I had a phone call there a few weeks ago. Uh, this man, he was in an off stay on the phone. My girlfriend has been she's been poked and prodded by a spirit. And father, what did I do? And oh, he's, there's shoes and clothes being thrown at us. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? And. I just said, look, look, go to your, where, where are you? Go to your nearest priest right now. Just go there now. Go there now. And they said they would. And uh, the next day I rang them up and said, how are you? What? They couldn't even remember ringing me. <laughs> really? Yeah. Why did the And you know what? I was actually genuinely concerned and worried about them for a whole night. I got no sleep over it. And Why did the Corinthians never write back? They didn't have to. You see, you're forgetting, like, I mean, you're talking about a world where paper was papyrus, you know, it was expensive. Nobody had it. You know, it, it was all word of mouth. You know, it was not you, the fun thing. What What do you think? How would you define freedom? Freedom is knowing who you are and knowing your place in the world and, um, Knowing who God is. That's freedom. People see religion and, and faith as restrictive. It's not. It gives you such great freedom. It really does. You know, because you know your place in the world. Everyone. You know, you, you hear people, you know, I want control over this and I want control over that. At the end of the day, we have no control over anything. You no, no. You can be hit by a bus in the <laughs> we morning. We have no control. You could get any disease. We have no control whatsoever. We're all in God's hands, you know, and um, by God, he tests some of us. He really does. But look. When was the last time you lost your faith? Uh, 
It happens a bit. It happens a good bit, even as a priest, because things happen. And you say, God, where are you in all this? What's going on? Um, you can't have faith unless you have doubt as well. Two working hand in hand. Is it hard to It's be, healthy to doubt. Is it hard to move from one parish to another? Really difficult. I mean, I've done a lot of things in life, but moving parish was just probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. And the reason is because my last parish was my first parish. I was there for seven years and I was there with wonderful priests and wonderful people. And they were all my friends. And and to have to up and leave them was just. Uh, and then going to completely different, uh, you know. Mm. But look, you know, that's part of 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 everybody's life. You know, I mean, you've had to up and move house a few times. I mean, it, there's young people who have to move countries. They have to move, you know, it's it's just part of life, you know, so you just uh, get on with it. And it's great. You can look at it negatively or you can look at it positively. But when you look at it positively, you're you're fine. Yeah, it seems like a hard thing to do. I I, I think that would be very, very difficult. Yeah, but like when you were welcomed, like I have been in in in, in my new parish. I mean, it's 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 it's. Have you great. ever been absolutely gobsmacked in confession? You don't have to tell me what. It was. Yes. Well, have you ever like? Yes, I have. And constantly, but I I think after a few years, you, you you're just not shocked anymore. What if someone comes in and says, "I murdered someone." Yes. Do you have to go to guards? Uh, yeah, well, look, there's a seal of confession, all right? You're not supposed to reveal uh, what's said. But I would say to that person, like, why are you here? Uh, because, you know, if you want forgiveness, you will, the two of us will walk straight out of this box and we'll go to the guards because that's the only way you're getting forgiveness here. Do you believe in aliens? Do I believe in aliens? Um, well, the universe is so vast, there is bound to be uh, some kind of life on some other planet, yes. But look, it's just so infinite. I mean, think about it, David. Like, we're just like little ants on this earth. And this earth is just a minuscule in the set in the universe. Like, it's just incredible. Like, I think about it all the time. It's just awesome. I mean, it just if, if it's infinite, me and you are probably having a conversation somewhere else. It's the exact same yeah, but conversation. You see, you see, the problem is we have people on this earth who think they can squeeze all that into their brain. You know, you know, Richard Dawkins is so convinced that God doesn't exist. I mean, how can you anybody squeeze God into their brain? It's, he's just so vast. He created all this. That's not going to happen. So, you know, at the end of the day, the whole thing's a mystery and, and you can choose to embrace that mystery or you can say, no, it's just meaningless. It's about nothing. We're just a lump of cells. Uh, I mean, what do you choose? I choose uh, my way. I, I can understand why you choose the other way, but I mean, where's the life in that? You know, you know, God wants you to live life to the full. And how do you do that? By having a meaning. And, uh, you know, God has given us a menu. There's all different religions and like you can choose whichever one you want, but you choose the one that gives you meaning. And when you find that, that's your source and that will get you through. Are you afraid of dying? Um, I'm afraid of the process of dying. Dying itself, no, I, I can't wait to see what happens next. That's cool. 
and there's a bit of fear there as well because there's always fear of the unknown but um based on what i've you know studied and uh what i've seen and like i see a lot of people dying and um I, I, it's a strange thing to say but you do see some inspirational deaths and um those are always the ones believe it or not people who have had faith and maybe you could argue it's a blind faith but I mean it's incredible the way some people die they just I mean it, it, words just won't explain it you know it's just awesome I if when, whenever I meet someone like you a priest and I know you because I've, I've, you know, you were there when my yeah. dad yeah. passed and we've got to know each other and I feel like I can talk to you. Yeah. So you're probably the first priest that I've known that I can actually have a conversation with. And, you know, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I, I want to know loads of things. That's why I do this. Yeah. But I, when I look at someone like you, I would wish that you'd have family and stuff. You know, when you're there for all these people when they're dying, and I'd often wonder when you go home, do you go, who's going to be with me? Uh, I have the most amazing family. Yeah, but if you're old. Uh, when I'm old, um, you know, I'll have the most amazing family because, you know, wherever that may be, whether it's with my nephews or nieces or whether it's in a nursing home, um, they're the most amazing people working in nursing homes. I mean, I, I I walk into a nursing home now and some of them will say, I want to come here because mm. they make it such um, a family unit that are incredible. Have you been to nursing homes? My wife works in a nursing home. Yeah. They're, the staff there are just awesome in most of them. And I'd have no problem, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, people there's a goodness in people and that will always be there right now i talked to y'all i talked to you for another two hours <laughs> i still don't know who i am <laughs> well, well i get you know, there everyone, i get there everyone get there. has to figure that out from yourself what's blocking you what's blocking you um i don't know you see the my, my inner dialogue i think no I, I, it's no, like no, the, I, no no you see you have to make the jump to jump to where? You have to make the jump. You have to make what the Kierkegaard said, the leap, you have to make the leap of faith. Okay? And, and you see, God created you. Okay? Or something created you. Mm. Okay? I choose to believe God created you. All right? And um, he gave you a body and uh, he gave you a mind but the most important part is your your heart or your soul because that helps you make sense of this world we're living in it helps you make sense of life and uh, nowadays we're really good at looking after our bodies and we're really look, look good at looking after our Speak brains to yourself, brain. but look your body's a temple right i see you in the gym right working out my body's a temple but one of them temples the monkey shehan in india yeah but anyway look your most important part of your spirit. Yeah. All right. And uh, God wants you to look after all three, you know. And if, if you don't look after your spirit, uh, what's going to happen? 
it's a downhill process, I think. Mm. And I only speak from my, my experience. So it's important to look after it. And um, you find what makes that tick. All right. But um, God works through the heart. He just doesn't. You won't get God in your brain only. He mainly works through here. And you have to give him that. If you don't give him that, it's never going to make sense. All right. So, but I can't do that for you. You have to do that. But if you give God your heart, everything will fall into place. And on that bombshell. Brian, thanks a million for coming on. Sure you And I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. And you too. All right. Call up. I'll we'll do we'll play the Exorcist game. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's too scary to play. We'll play the other one. I can't wait to slap. <laughs> we'll, we'll, um, we'll, you'll have to come on again and we'll talk a little bit more about philosophy because I'm, I'm glad to know. I'll find myself eventually. Yeah, but just leave you one thing. Yeah. Uh, the, more, the more you learn, the less you know. That's a fact. That's the fact. And, uh, you know, you can talk to the group. And I think we're, we're learning that as a species as well. Yeah. And if you look at the lives of all these philosophers, they were all weird in so many ways. You know, you know, they all had problems and issues. And I think maybe this, that's what caused them to force, force them to think those ways. But, um, no, the more you learn in life, the less you know, and the more humble you become. Brilliant. All right. Thanks a million. You're welcome. See you, Brian. See ya. Bye bye.